Did you know that the University of Minnesota has 800 clubs that students can be a part of? And if you can't find something that you want to be a part of in that 800, uh, you can just start your own. <laughs> there are clubs specifically for literature, cultural clubs, cultural diversity clubs, sports clubs, workout clubs, sororities and fraternities, cooking clubs. There's a Kanye West club. Um, a Dungeons and Dragons club, a hammock club. There's literally something for everyone. I think the U of M has taken the meaning of the quote, if you can dream it, you can do it, to a whole new level. But these clubs represent our need and our desire to be in groups. Humans have existed together in groups since the beginning of creation. Since God looked at man and said, it is not good for him to be alone. So over the course of time, we have lived into that. We have created group after group after group after group out of our natural drive to connect with each other. What groups do you belong to? And what are those distinguishing markers that make your group your group. Are you part of a sports club? Are you part of a networking group for, specific, for a specific profession? Are you part of a garden club or a book club? We joke with my mom when she's going to book club that she's actually going to wine club. <laughs> Each of the groups that we belong to have meaning and purpose. And we're, when we're part of that group, we embrace and live up to and live into the mission of that group. I had a fairly well-rounded upbringing. My dad was an athlete, and so we were put in different sports, and my mom really likes the art, so we were put in different relational things and different acting and drama, and I was in ballet and all sorts of stuff like that. And, and one of the groups that my mom really wanted my sister and I to be a part of when we were in elementary school was the Girl Scouts. The Girl Scouts exist to build girls, girls of courage, confidence, and character to make the world a better place. I learned the meaning of this mission the hard way. We went to fall camp one year, probably in second or third grade, just like every other troop, and when we got there, another girl and I convinced the rest of the troop to purposefully exclude one of the other girls in our group. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that story because it was so harsh and so mean, I still remember every part of that weekend. We had a lot to learn about character and making the world a better place, and it needed to start within our own group. We had a mission, but we failed to carry it out within ourselves, around each other. We learned that weekend that we need to start here. We need to start with ourselves. There are distinguishing markers for every group. And the church is not exempt from that. We've spent the last three weeks asking if your faith is irresistible. 
And now we're going to ask if our faith is irresistible. What are, are our distinguishing markers? And do we live them out with each other? How do we, as the local church and the larger body of Christ, experience and express irresistible community? The church is God's plan A for taking his message to an unbelieving and broken world. There's no other movement like it, no assembly that has lasted as long, no message that carries as much power, and he entrusts it to us. Not only to carry out to the world, but to experience in fullness and richness inside our community as well. The good news of Jesus Christ says that no one is too far, nothing too broken, nothing too gone. We are all in need of a savior. He comes to bring salvation, healing to the hurting, faith to the faithless, love to the lonely, joy to the downtrodden, and hope to the desperate. And we have the holy privilege of living that out with one another as believers in Christ. And because of that truth, community and relationships get to look a lot different. Jesus explained what makes our community and our relationships different the night before he died. He gathered his faithful followers, his friends, the men and women who had been with him during his entire ministry, and he had the first church gathering. He served them by washing their feet. He shared a meal with them and reminded them of who he is. And he left them with these final instructions that we find in John chapter 13. If you want to grab a pew Bible, otherwise it will be on the screens. We're going to read just two short, powerful verses. John 13, 34 says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our distinguishing mark. This command was radical for them to hear. Not because to love was new. It was new because the love of Christ's friends for Christ's sake was a new thing in the world. This was to be the distinguishing mark for Christ's disciples. All other people will know that we are Jesus' disciples if and only if we have love to one another. In this context, Jesus isn't speaking about a general love that we have for all people. He's specifically zeroing in on the body of believers, the people who sat around his table. He's talking about the love we have for fellow believers. They had formed this incredibly intimate community. The men and women who followed him had left everything. They believed that this guy was it. This is who they were waiting for. This was the man who was going to reconcile all of civilization to himself, back to God, and make it whole again. 
But what they didn't realize was that he was going to do it through them and on a much grander scale. Because of their dedication to the mission and love for one another, he was going to bring people to himself. The command is not telling them how to become a Christian. It is telling them what it is going to take to live as a Christian. The word for love in this context is agape love. That's a powerful love. An unconditional love. A for you kind of love. A love that welcomes. It is the love that Jesus has for us. In his book, Irresistible Faith, Scott Sauls describes this type of love within the church to be rooted in transparency and kindness. I wonder if you've ever experienced this kind of love with fellow believers. The first time I experienced this type of love in Christian community, the one that's rooted in transparency and kindness, was when I was in college. My freshman year, I became friends with a group of people who all shared a belief in Jesus Christ and wanted to make him the center of their lives. I had never experienced that in a group of people before. The way we spoke to each other, the way we interacted with each other, the way we challenged each other was different. It was deeper. It was fuller. I knew that each of them had my back. Each of them wanted to see Jesus grow in my life, and I wanted that for them as well. Going through college with this type of community truly transformed my life. And all of those women are still my best friends today because our love for each other is rooted in Jesus. This text in John raised up three questions for me as I was reading through it and then reading the chapter in Scott Saul's book that, that correlates with this. Three questions that I believe can create or destroy irresistible Christian community. I think it starts with this. Does it start with me paying attention to my own natural wiring for community and for connection? Because if I don't even recognize and realize that I have this need within me, I'm probably not going to go try and find it. The second question that I asked myself was, with whom am I driven to transparent Christian community? And then finally I asked myself, so what does this look like for me? What does this look like for me individually and me as a member of this specific body and with fellow believers? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to be more transparent? Where do I need to exhibit kindness in greater depths? First question is, do I pay attention to my natural wiring for connection? We are wired for it. Genesis says it, starts with it, that it's not good for us to be alone. And because of that, it means we're wired for transparency. Because if you don't have transparency, you don't have authentic connection. But it seems like today, we're pretty quick to settle for artificial connection. 
through likes or text messages or masked how are you's and highlight reels of our lives. What makes the church different in all of this? We know that our drive to connect is founded in our connection to Jesus. Our lives are being refined by the Holy Spirit as we pursue Christ and transparent community with each other. Dr. Brene Brown says that connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. But sadly, that doesn't always translate into real life. Cigna released a study in 2018 that found that loneliness was a very common trait among Americans. Of the 20,000 people that they surveyed ages 20 to 80, 54% said they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. In the Journal of Pediatrics, a study was released saying that young adults who had higher levels of connectedness when they were teens were as much as 66% less likely to have mental health problems, to experience violence, to take sexual risks, and to engage in substance abuse. We need each other. Jesus set up his church to be a group that needed each other so that we could show the world what it looks like. That's what agape love does. The church wasn't started so that people could flaunt how good they are. It wasn't started so people could tip their Sunday hats and dress in their Sunday best to each other and talk about how good their lives are when actually they're crumbling. The church was started because Jesus broke free from the act. He looked at the pompous and religious people who wore all the right clothes and said all the right things. And instead of joining them, he started a new way of living. One where tax collector and prostitute and disciple sat at the same table. Because the need is the same. The drive for connection is the same. We all start in the same place, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter what you do, how much money you make, what your skin color looks like, what your orientation is, what your political ideology is, how many kids you have, if you're married or not. We start in the same place broken and in need of a savior. And that connects us and unites us. The second question that I asked myself when reading this passage was, with whom am I driven to transparent Christian community? Because if you look at the context and you look back to some verses in that chapter, Jesus is sitting in the upper room with his disciples. And when you stop to look at who those disciples were, you see that they're not all the same. They came from different backgrounds, belief systems, professions, and yet they were deeply connected with each other. Jesus made sure that his community didn't look the same because anyone 
could be his disciple. He raised up women when that was unheard of in the time. He asked tax collector to sit at his table. Fishermen. Irresistible community isn't homogenous. That wasn't the example that Jesus set for us. And so this text challenges us to look at our communities and to examine whether everyone is the same or not. Do I put categories and boundaries up around who I live in transparency with? Do I have my set group of people who think like me, act like me, dress like me, look like me, and I never go outside of them to connect with anyone else? If love has boundaries or categories, it's not agape love. It's not the love that Jesus was talking about that night. Our distinguishing mark calls us deeper into love because we are all one in Christ. I have this beautiful privilege of being part of a small group that consists of married women, single women, moms, non-moms, professionals, creatives, stay-at-home moms, and church workers. We have different ideas about faith and life, different parenting styles, different passions of service, different interpretations of scripture. We come from different backgrounds and we fall into different socioeconomic categories. Our group isn't about coexisting with people who are in our identical life stage. And it's not about trying some social experiment to see if we can exist within differences. Our group is a group who, seven or eight years ago, got together and said, we want to walk through life with each other. We want to study scripture together. We want to eat meals together. We want to be in it with each other. And so we started our group. We see each other as unique individuals, fellow sojourners on the way to Jesus. Obeying the new command to love means that we challenge ourselves to look beyond the categories, to look beyond the differences, and to find common ground in Jesus. Transparency and kindness are forged when we're willing to love without boundaries. Every single summer, I get the privilege of a front row seat of watching that explode within our college interns. We hire 12 to 13 college interns. They're all over here. Ryan was in the band. And I watch them develop and create this beautiful, transparent community here and not just with each other. They look beyond the categories, they look beyond the boundaries that might hold some people back and they run towards. When I look at them and the creation and the relationships that they create within the short nine weeks that they're with us, and when I look at you who get to know them, who invite them into your homes, into your families, I know that this type of community is possible for us. And when I watch them interact and live into the mission of this church, 
It gives me hope for 20-somethings and emerging adults that they can find community here, that they are loved and that they love. This is a hard group of people for the church to meet right now. And there are lots of variables, lots of reasons why. They believe, a lot of them believe that they can live in transparent and kind community without us, without the church, without Jesus. And frankly, sometimes I think we've done a pretty good job of communicating that to them as well. And I believe it's up to us to live the distinguishing mark of the church with emerging adults and 20-somethings. We need them. They're a really fun group of people. And they have a lot to offer. We need to be with each other. We were created to be together, and I believe that there is room for all of us at the table. We just need to take some intentional steps to get there. This command to love fellow believers is a privilege. And rightly lived out, it proclaims the true God before a watching world. Transparent Christian community, you guys, it's not an option for those of us who say we follow Jesus. It is our distinguishing mark. When we are in Christ, we love for Christ's sake because he first loved us and says the world will know him because of our love for each other. The last question that I asked myself was, so what does this mean? Why does this matter? What does this look like in my individual life? How am I living out this new command that Jesus gives? Is our community irresistible? Is it driven by transparency and kindness? How do you respond to the call that Jesus places over you to love one another? Do you have transparent community? If you don't, What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step to talk to a staff member, to ask a pew neighbor how to find it? What keeps you from jumping into a small group or starting a small group? If you do have it, are you looking for people who don't and inviting them in? Do you need to throw off boundaries and categories that are hindering transparent and kind community? Do you need to clear some space in your schedule to make it a priority? Do you need to take the bold step next time you meet with your small group to be honest about what's really going on in your life? Do you need to change the way you interact with fellow believers online or in person whom you don't agree with to be more kind? Do you need to invite a young person to have dinner with your family? I promise they're not unicorns here. This is hard stuff, and we're not always going to get it right. I mess up on a regular basis in this area. 
but I believe that it's worth the try again and again and again. Jason Biasi, a theology prof, says, real community is difficult before it is life-saving. The church is a headache, and it is worthy of our longing for it. Our distinguishing marker is this, that we love one another just as Jesus has loved us. We love one another because our love for one another will prove to the world that we are his disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for being a God who loves us so much and knows us so deeply. Thanks for being a God who calls us to love each other. Father, I pray that we would take the steps we need to in this community with fellow believers to love well. God, I pray that you would go before us, that you would nudge us, that you would walk with us, and that we would display transparent and kind community with one another. In your name we pray, amen.